Oh, you don't want to miss today's uh, podcast because uh, Stu's mad at me for asking for a puppet. That's a fact. Fact check. True. Uh, so I, all I want is, because and we talk about this in the podcast, all I want is eight puppets. Well, now maybe ten if we include Brett Barron and Martha McCallum. McCallum. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we need ten puppets. Mm-hmm. But Fox won't let us uh, use any of the audio from the debate next week. So we're going to have to recreate, and I need puppets. So if you know somebody who's good at making puppets, or so bad that they're great at making puppets, you just uh, send them in. And uh, the P.O. Box number is uh, P.O. 1431893900 Teleport Boulevard, Irving, Texas, 75039. You just send those in. What could possibly go wrong? I can hear the sewing machine now. You're just worried. You're just worried because you just don't want to be called a bigot or a racist. It's not that. I'm much more concerned about, you know, which puppet has anthrax in it, which one has an explosive device, which person comes to just shoot (laughs) us in the driveway. We didn't give away our driveway address. That's true, but... You never know. All right. Here's the podcast brought to you by Relief Factor. Let me tell you, get out of pain. And really, that's it. That's all I have to say. Get out of pain. Call Relief Factor. What are you doing in pain? Why are you waiting around? Why haven't you called? What's wrong with you? How many times do I have to say that? Get out of pain. Have you tried Relief Factor? No. Try it. Three-week quick start, 1995, trial pack, not a drug. 800, the number four relief. 800 for relief. Relieffactor.com. Feel the difference. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. I don't know if you saw the... Uh, the story yesterday, a lot of people just kind of didn't pay attention to it. So I thought maybe we should uh, maybe we should bring it up and and maybe highlight in a different way. Uh, there are now uh, 20, 20 politicians in Washington that are over 80. I Wow, that's a lot, although I may have guessed higher. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought uh, we should just go and and look at some of these politicians. And I'm just going to just to put it into context. You know, what was a song that was out when they were a kid? OK. OK. Mm-hmm. So Chuck Grassley, he's 89. He was uh, born uh, September 17th, 1933. And this was the song that was... When he went away, the blues walked in and met me. If he stays away, old rocking chair will yeah. get me. All they, I do they don't is put rocking chair in songs. No, not enough anymore. Yeah. No. I mean, yeah. Lizzo has that one. But... Yeah. Right. But she was, mm-hmm. she's a flautist mm-hmm. or yeah. something that starts with an F. Yeah. Uh, and so that's Chuck Grassley. Uh, when Jeez. Diane Feinstein was, uh, was born, she's 90. The top grossing movie was King Kong. The, the original. The original. The original. Wow. And, uh, this is. Yeah. By the way, 1933. Uh, 
Hitler was also just appointed Chancellor of Germany. So, yeah. Uh, now, at a uh, whopping 81 years old, uh, born September 8th, 1941, was uh, Bernie Sanders. And uh, Bernie uh, had this super, super hit. Now, I love this music, though. It's great. It really yeah. is. I, it just, it does feel old. <laughs> A little puts older it in perspective. Than, yeah, puts it into perspective. This is what was on the radio. I'll explain what radio is later to the kids. <laughs> Uh, but, but that is uh, Bernie Sanders. It's, it's, listening to this stuff, it's like this is the stuff that you'd hear when when like um, uh, Michael J. Fox went back to nine, and then you're like, wait, no, that was 1955. Yes, that, that, <laughs> that was a decade, two decades away. Yeah, Before yeah. When he went back in time, uh-huh. Diane Feinstein was uh-huh. in her m- mid twenties. Uh huh. Mitch McConnell. This is what was playing on the radio. So, if you've ever seen the movie White Christmas, bingo, that's, uh, oh, by the way, the Manhattan Project had just started when uh, Mitch McConnell was born. Was Mitch in Oppenheimer? Uh, Did he make an appearance in that? uh, I think he was Fat Man. Okay. Or Little Boy. I I don't remember. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is it Jim Reich? Rich? He's a Republican in uh, Idaho. Yeah. Uh, here, here he is. Um, never fall again. Say, boy, what you gonna do? I'm gonna it's the year the slinky was invented. We don't have anybody young enough to uh, be born in the year the hula hoop was invented, but slinky. Uh, yes. Now, Grace Napolitano from California uh, this is what was happening in 1936 when she was born. Every time it rains, <laughs> and it's from heaven. FDR had just won his second presidential Don't election. You know oh. Yeah, he had four total. This was just heaven. the beginning of his second one. Uh, then we have Eleanor Holmes Norton. Uh, she was born uh, the year that uh, Amelia Earhart disappeared. And uh, this was the radio. We're still, uh, we're still four years away from World War II. Still four years away. Uh, we have Harold Rogers uh, from Kentucky. He's 85 years old. Um, he was... Uh, Born to this music, uh, and the Shirley Temple film Heidi had just been released. I'll explain, kids, what Shirley Temple is uh, a little later. Bill Crab Pasquale from New Jersey, 86 years old. I'd like to say, Oh, the humanity. Yes, he was uh, born as the Hindenburg was burning to the ground. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Maxine Waters was born with this super, super classic. You remember the, you remember the TV show, uh, The Addams Family? Yeah. Well, long before television was invented, mm-hmm. uh, it was a comic strip. 
Really? Yes. I did not know it, that. I didn't know that. Didn't it was in that. something kids called a newspaper. Mm. Uh, and there were the Sunday Funnies or a comic strip. Uh, and uh, the the year Maxine Waters was born is the uh, first comic strip of the Adams Family. Mm. Much, much, much later to be a TV show. And then a uh, movie. Uh, yes. And yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. and yeah. cartoons too, right? I believe so. Later, yeah. later on, yeah. Uh, we have uh, Steny Hoyer. Got <laughs> a lot of Stennies these days. Mm-hmm. Now, do you recognize? I mean, you recognize this? Mm. This is also the year. Don't worry about it. This is also the year that the Columbia Broadcasting System presents. War of the Worlds with Orson Welles. Yes, yes. Same year as War of the Worlds. Stations present Orson Welles and the Mercury Theater on the air in The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. Now, slightly, slightly younger than that is James Clyburn. Uh, He's 83, he was born July 21st, 1940, when uh, when this was out. Okay. Uh, and you could buy a pound of bread, buy a pound of bread. When did we sell bread by the pound? Mm. You could buy a pound of bread for 10 cents. But uh, then we have Nancy Pelosi. Uh, she, in, uh, she was born in 1940. So she's really kind of a spring chicken here. Really? Yeah. 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 Uh, in 1940, Congress limited the work week to 40 hours. Now, most people would say people work, work more than 40 hours. And other people would say, what's work? Hmm. Uh, but uh, Nancy Pelosi definitely knows. Then Danny Davis. He is a Democrat. Yeah. No. Is this is this Post Malone or who is this? Yeah. You wanna get the best from me. Now this is this is the year that uh, Captain America was first penned and put in a comic book. So, the, the Marvel movie or Yeah, no, not the movie. No. No, the comic book. Okay. Okay. Uh, John Carter, uh, he's a Republican for Texas. This is now you're gonna like this. As time goes by, really, uh, it was John would remember that he was born the year General Mills introduced something called Cheerios. Oh, Cheerios! I love Cheerios. Which They're delicious. Much, 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 much later became Cheerios. Mm, Cheerios. Yeah. I, uh, I prefer the Cheerios, mm-hmm. personally. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, this uh, is uh, Anna Eshoo, uh, her birthday, December 13th, 1942. This is the year, she was born the year FDR called for the internment of the Japanese in American uh, concentration camps, which she's got to be so very proud of. Frederica Wilson, a Democrat from Florida, uh, she was uh, she was born under under this. 
And uh, a 12 ounce Pepsi cost five cents when she was born. Rosa DeLauro. Uh, she was, uh, she was born the year, and you're not going to find this hard to believe, born the year scientists discovered that LSD had psychedelic properties. Uh, yeah. When you could sing songs about pistols. I was putting the pistol down. It's a gun yeah. control song. You're allowed well, you're to do right. that now. You're right. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Mm-hmm. Virginia Fox, uh, from North Carolina, 80 years old. Uh, 1943, she was born, and we're now about to enter the stereophonic phase. Ooh. Yeah, but, uh, not yet. Not yet. We're still about 10 years, maybe 15 years away from stereophonic, but, uh, uh, she was born the year Italy surrendered, uh, in World War II. Mm -mm. And then, of course, we have Kay Granger from Texas. Uh, she, she was born, yeah. She was uh, born the year James Cagney won Best Actor for his performance in Yankee Doodle Dandy. Hmm. Which. That's a good performance. Is like, uh, it's it's a little like Top Gun without any kind of technology in it. Uh, yeah, so, not, not a not a pl- lot of planes really uh, nothing being utilized. Really, not back then. No. It's, it's interesting, and like you know, part of me thinks if you're 84 and you get elected for the first time, good for you. You know, good for you. If you are so incredible at 84 that you just really walk in there and you're like, hey, I'm running, and the voters say, hey, come on in. That's wonderful. Congratulations. When it's re-election number 27 mm-hmm. it, it kind of mm-hmm. becomes an issue mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. we're seeing i don't know some some after effects of some of these decisions well, uh, california looking at you with diane feinstein right now yeah you know what uh, uh by the way none of these people are boomers oh we're in silent generation yeah is that what it was is that the one before yeah. boomers silent yeah. mm-hmm yeah. So they weren't boomers because the war hadn't finished yet. So baby boomers? No. This is the generation before baby boomers. Just to give you a little perspective. Now, look, they tell me, I don't believe this, but they tell me that someday I'll be their age. And that's, I mean, doctors do not agree with this analysis. Yes, they think I'll be <laughs> dead long before. But, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but that being said, uh-huh. uh, if I do make it, I won't be in Congress. Right. And I think maybe some of these really, 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 really old people should leave us alone. I've, you've had your day in the sun. In fact, you've had more uh, than a day in the sun. Uh, you've had over 80 years in the sun. And when you leave something out in the sun too long, it tends to dehydrate. Yes. And shrivel up. Right. And, and perhaps, there you are. Perhaps that's happened to many of the brains uh, in Congress. Yes. So please leave Congress. Now, <laughs> I hope that this gives you a perspective of the 20 people. That are running our country right now. That does not include the executive branch. I was going to say, yeah, Biden, we didn't even talk about. No, no. He's obviously on this list. Absolutely. Uh, But 
maybe maybe that will help you understand how very very old these generation before the boomers really are this is the best of the glenn beck program and we really want to thank you for listening steve baker welcome to the program Good to be back, Lynn. Thanks for having me. So I had you on, I think it was last week, and we were talking about the 12,000 hours that you have been promised your first up to view because you're working on a story for The Blaze, and you have found some pretty shocking things, but you need to verify before you even write this. You need to verify on tape, correct? That's correct. It's, it's actually 41,000 hours. It's, it's roughly the math is the 41,000 hours by time, uh, 1700 plus cameras that are available in the uh, Capitol campus. And that would be the 24 hour day of January 6th. That's where that 41,000 hour uh, number comes from. So they are going to court today to try to cordon off some of this tape and say you can't see it because of national security is that going to prevail and will that affect you it's it's a interesting question because we have as you know uh, had limited access there's only been five journalists given access up to this point the first and most public of those was tucker carlson's staff's access and then julie kelly john solomon uh, joe hanneman from the epic times and myself are the only five up to this point that we know of who have been given that access and then there's been a pause button hit and we were told that the reason why this pause button was hit was because they were developing a new media guideline this was coming directly from uh, speaker mccarthy's staff and with this new guidelines that were going to be published and this was supposed to be published over a month ago and then i got a call from a staffer last week who told me very specifically he said you were first back in you you're you were the guy we know what you're working on we want this story out and you're going to be the first one back in under the new guidelines and they told me that this guidelines was going to be out last Friday. Well, that didn't happen. Uh, and so we still haven't seen the guidelines. And I'm wondering if there's not some connection to this new judicial watch. Uh, fi- it's not a new du- judicial watch filing, by the way. They filed right. this lawsuit back in February of 21, just a month after January 6th. But the point being is, is that the Capitol Police themselves do not want people to have access to this video. So that's what that's what's coming up in court today. That's a a decision that prevents us from getting back in. That is a real problem. This is the people's videotape. This is the people's house, the people's uh, capital. And we're not allowed to see the videotape. I don't buy. It's not for um, uh, and a reason that is mm, less than dark. So yesterday, yesterday we had a former um, Capitol Police officer on with us, and he said, uh, nobody knows who Julie Farnham is, and everyone should know. Do you know her, and what can you tell us about her? Julie Farnham was hired by the Capitol Police uh, just uh, October of 2020, so just three months before January 6th. And she was brought in to basically revamp, which was a what they refer to in uh, the um, January 6th committee testimony as being a, a failing agency or a failing division uh, itself. And she came from uh, Homeland Security. She was actually oversaw what they called their immigration vetting di- division. So <laughs> imagine what that was like. Yeah. 
but she did she did say that that was a significant intelligence position that she held and that she was uh, uh, then brought in to oversee this 12 person internal intel analyst division at the Capitol Police, uh, which she describes as an intelligent consuming division, not an intel gathering division, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but. I will tell you this, that there's not really anything nefarious at all. As a matter of fact, her her testimony, even before Pelosi's J6 uh, select committee is is quite uh, damning as to what was available to them. She was very clear that they had significant in, intel. In fact, they had intel that said specifically that there were going to be a large number of armed and with weapons, uh, protesters uh, coming to the Capitol that day, that there was actual intent to actually invade the Capitol that day. And that furthermore, there were uh, there was intelligence that they intended to actually take out Congress members. And with all of that intelligence there and reported to the January 6th committee, this information has never been shared with the American public. But I have the transcript of her testimony holy cow so um farnham she worked for farnham right in the intelligence arm of uh, of the capital yes okay yeah she 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 would have been reporting directly to uh assistant chief yogananda Pittman, who was the head of uh, capital police intelligence okay and then when she moves over to the chief of police Pittman, uh Mm -hmm. then farnham goes where Farnham was with the uh, agency for or with the, the department, the Capitol Police, as their what they call assistant director of intelligence and interagency coordination. So she headed up that division for about two and a half years before she went back into apparently private practice. She's no longer with them. They, she left in May of this year. OK, so why would he say yesterday that we need to know her? She sounds like a good guy. Yeah, I, I I will I will tell you that the background that I have personally done on Farnham doesn't give me any indication that she herself had any nefarious intent. But I will tell you that again, going back to her testimony before the select committee, that there there are more clues about what um, uh, Lieutenant Johnson said in that that she absolutely called an intelligence meeting with the upper echelon of Capitol Police leadership, and this was on January 4th, in which she specifically says that um, both uh, Chief Gallagher and Chief Pittman were present, and she even says to the committee, it is my understanding that Chief Sund was not invited, quote unquote. Hmm. So who would have the power, or what would the motivation be for Pittman not to pass all of this intel along. Well, what what would be the motivation? I mean, we we have to you know with any any type of uh, government operation, we have to start with uh, incompetence. We you know we always start there. And when we're talking about the the, uh, the the actual police department administrated by the largest, most incompetent government in the world, you know. Mm. it's a fair place to start before you get into malfeasance or malevolence or anything of that sort. But the fact that they knew, and this is, this isn't very, very important for the American people to know. 
is not only did they have the intelligence, and it wasn't just from their own internal an- analysts. This this intelligence of uh, of a significant event that was coming their way was uh, testified uh, to by many other sources. We know that the FBI was sharing intelligence with them. They were receiving intelligence all the way from uh, the New York Police Department that there was uh, significant nefarious operators that were going to be descending on D.C. that day. And then, of course, we also have heard, uh, as we heard in the Tucker Carlson, Stephen Sund interview last week, that uh, we had both the uh, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Milley, as well as the uh, uh, Secretary of Defense, uh, Chris Miller, wanted to shut D.C. down. They wanted to close. They wanted to cancel all of the permitted events. And this is the other thing that Americans don't know is that the Capitol Police themselves had issued at least six what they call First Amendment protest permits for that day. These were signed off by the Capitol Police in which they knew that members of Congress were going to be speaking at some of those side stage events on the Capitol property. We're not talking about the the big rally that Trump was holding at the Ellipse, but these were events that were scheduled, permitted, legally so, signed off by the Capitol Police leadership. And for some reason, none of that information was ever passed down to their um, uh command level officers like Lieutenant Johnson. None of that information was ever shared in their morning roll call briefings that morning. We know from multiple testimonies, uh, both on the record and off the record with uh, Capitol Police officers, frontline officers, that they knew nothing about what was coming their way that day. We even heard those testimonies in trials. In the first Oath Keeper trial, uh, there was an officer by the name of Ryan Salky, and he was he was a brave officer. He stood his ground on the east uh, door. That's where the famous Columbus doors are. He was getting beaten, manhandled. He was getting just drenched in all manner of pepper spray and OC spray. And he never left his post until that door was finally breached. And in that trial, he was asked under cross-examination if he knew about the permitted events on the Capitol grounds that day. And he said, no. He said, the only thing I know, and I I quote from my own notes because I was there at that trial, he said, I only knew something was happening at the White House. What do you what conclusion do you draw and are we ever going to get to the end of this? Are we ever going to find out what really happened? What happened to the pipe bombers? What what happened? Where is that? Well, exactly. Look, Glenn, I I draw the same conclusion as Tucker did in that interview last week. Uh, This sounds like a setup and and it and there's just too many missing or there's too many elements here, too many uh, connective tissues Correct. showing that it was for this to be just gross incompetence. And in, and in fact, in, in Farnham's um, uh, assessment, one of the last things that questions that she was asked was, was this a failure leading up to uh, January 6th? And her answer was very simply this. She said, I don't think it was a failure of intelligence. I think it was a failure to operationalize the intelligence. And of course, she would not have had the, uh, it was not her position to uh, do and write the morning briefings for those officers that day. Somebody had that information. Obviously, it goes right up to Pittman's office. And she had a briefing with them on the 4th. That information was shared. And for some reason, they did not disseminate that to their officers that day. Hmm. Uh, do you know what happened with or where we are on the pipe bomb? Is that just over? 
We're not looking for those. Uh, well, it's it's still called an open investigation, which is why in recent hearings on on the Hill that they won't answer questions about it because, as you know, they always say, "Well, that's an open investigation. I can't talk about it." Jeez. But but I will tell you this: we know that the pipe bombs themselves were inoperable. They were um, they were stunt pieces. They they were never intended to go off. They were basically diversionary tactics because the first one was found in the minutes before the first barricade breach at about twelve fifty two p.m. that day, and then the second was found just after that. And when both of those were found, and you can hear it on the Capitol Police radio comms, which I've heard. All of them. I've heard hours and hours of their radio com, uh, communications. I've read the transcripts that there is uh, absolutely was chaos in that moment because now the, the undermanned Capitol Police, which is a whole other story in and of itself, is why a department with almost 2000 uniformed officers that day only had a couple of hundred available on campus at the time. And then they were a additionally diverted because those pipe bombs were found at buildings under the purview and the responsibility of the Capitol Police themselves. It is almost like what a terrorist does when they set off a bomb and all the first responders go there uh, and are distracted from what really is going on or they're blown up at the at the site. They drag them in. I think these guys with the pipe bombs clearly were dragging the Capitol Police away so things could get uh, much, much worse. The best of the Glenn Beck program. I really, 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 really hope that one of these days we'll realize the only expert that counts is you. That's the one that counts. Because look where the experts have gotten us. Did you see the experts? They're talking about the new song. Uh, that is out. What, what's that guy's name? Oliver uh, Anthony. Anthony Oliver. Ant- Oliver Anthony, I believe. Yeah, well, you have two first names. Yeah, he, I don't you really don't get care. to choose the order you don't when get you to have choose that the problem. No, uh-uh. All of the experts are now saying he's worthless. He's no good. Uh, he's just a deplorable. Why? And why do we care what they say? We have Alex Clark on. She's the host of The Spillover from uh, Turning Point USA. Uh, yeah, Alex, that's two first names, too. You could call, you could call her Clark, Clark Alex. Alex. Mm-hmm. I am. Mm-hmm. I am. And they're both <laughs> guy names, and yet she's a woman. Ah. Interesting. So, Clark, Alex, <laughs> as if that is your real name. Uh, welcome to the uh, program. How are you? Thanks. I'm feeling good. I feel like America is kind of back. With this song. I'm so excited. You like it? I do like it. And I, I was excited. I checked. So I checked the iTunes charts this morning, Glenn. And he's not only number one on iTunes with this song, but his the top 50 on iTunes right now is filled with multiple songs of his. So because of this song, now people are going and they're streaming a ton of his songs. So it's his song uh, is the most viral song in the country right now. And then Jason Aldean's Try That in a Small Town. I mean, that's pretty telling about the state of America. No, but experts will tell us that those are just for deplorables. <laughs> That those are just hicks, that they, that this isn't saying anything except Donald Trump should be the ruler and king for the whole world forever. I mean, 
they are dismissing this this song i think is it cuts right to the core of how people are feeling and they don't care they don't care yeah well you weren't born to just pay bills and die and any genre of music you know especially when there is truth and there's passion and there's soul in the performer performing the song that's going to resonate with people that could be said for anybody. I mean, if you just look across history and what songs have, have done particularly well, it's whatever artist has kind of captured the, the cultural zeitgeist of the mm-hmm. moment. And that is what this guy has done. This song has tapped into the cultural zeitgeist of the silent majority. He's talking about growing wealth disparity. He's talking about a 1984 Orwellian government overreach. He's talking about rampant inflation and taxes being unfair. He's talking about uh, people being hungry and how we have fat homeless people because all we do is feed the poor, processed, low-quality, cheap food in this country. A welfare state, male depression. This is what real people are going through. And yet they don't seem to either hear it or care. And I'm not sure that this guy is necessarily a conservative or a Trump supporter. Or, you know, everybody's like, hey, he's on our side. I don't know if he is. I have no idea. Um, I know that we have tried to get him on uh, several times, and he wants to stay away from political shows because he doesn't want to be made into just a political thing. But everything is political now. Everything. Yeah, but I think that's smart for him to do. I, do I mean, just look at look at how Morgan Wallen has had to scrape his way back up after his uh, near cancellation and end of his career. I, I think it is a mistake for any artistic work. I think mo- movies, music, to just be broadly and openly labeled conservative if it's just talking about culture like this. Because I think we we really need brand. Um, we need artists, brand new artists like Oliver. We need movies like Sound of Freedom mm-hmm. that are really just calling attention to common sense. And I think that when we are very quick to call these things conservative, that alienates a lot of people in the movie. And then it prevents the message from getting out. So if all people see is like, oh, there's this viral song by this Oliver Anthony guy, but he's conservative. It's a political song. Like They're going to be like, well, I'm not going to listen to that. But if we're just like, hey, there's this like amazing song talking about life or whatever, it's just like, very generic then they're like okay i'll listen and then his message is likely to really resonate well i i have to tell you um that's the way i received it and that's the way i passed it on to friends was you got to listen to this guy listen to the words of what he's saying um i don't think he's concerned i mean he might vote like a conservative i don't know but this is a this is an American message. It's not like Democrats aren't suffering under Bidenomics. It's not like they're not feeling everything uh, that uh, that conservatives are feeling. Uh, you can't tell me that they like it. I'm sure some do, but uh, it's it's an American message for the time. And you know the other is. They're the ones separating themselves. When you see the sound of freedom, that is something that should appeal to every American, every American. It is the one thing that I really thought we still agreed on. Slavery is bad. Child exploitation is bad. Rape 
is bad. But apparently not. Um, you know, Disney held that movie and wouldn't release it until they were kind of had their hand forced. Then they gave it to Angel and Angel took it and run. And there's no point where they say, oh, you know, I guess maybe we should have. No, they're they're releasing Snow White where she's talking about, you know, the sexism of the story and the dwarves. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I had the same thought that there's no way that this song could have this uh, massive amount of success if only conservatives are listening to it and relating to it. So you know that there are people who might be classical liberals who, who traditionally vote Democrat. And I'm not talking about a leftist because that's just a whole other breed of people. But the liberals, I'm sure that there are some that are like, you know what? I also feel crippled, you know, by inflation right now. My small business is struggling. Like I relate to this guy and the reaction videos on YouTube, you know, people that like play the song and then they, they show themselves reacting to it. The videos are men and women of all races, all shapes, all sizes. And every single one of these people, Glenn, they're moved to tears. They're moved to tears. The reaction to this song being as big as it's been, I really think should give people some hope for 2024. And I think that's a really smart decision from this guy to say, I'm not going to do any political shows. Like, just keep speaking truth. And and that's how you that's how you actually red pill people. You don't tell them, uh, you know, you don't give a kid uh, like vegetables. You you put it in a smoothie or whatever. You tell them they're having something else so that they'll <laughs> actually eat it. Like that's what this guy's doing. I think that's super smart. What do you think of um, Alejandro uh, Monteverde? He is the guy that has he directed um, the Freedom, the Sound of Freedom. He is a he's probably one of the world's best directors that no one knows yet. He I've been following him for years. He's amazing. Um, And he was immediately they called the movie Sound of Freedom QAnon, which the movie was made two years before QAnon even showed up. Where does the QAnon stuff come from? It's just it's, at this point, it's just a way to use that as, as an excuse, I think, to shut people up and get us to stop talking about any any productive or important conversation. I think it's the most frustrating thing for me. I mean, as soon as that QAnon stuff started flowing around online, like I knew this was bogus. And I was like, I wish we would stop talking about it because I knew that this would be held against us at our throats as conservatives for the rest of time. Like we are never escaping that crap and it will always be held against us to invalidate any important message we have to say and say that we're just conspiracy theorists. Uh, I have to tell you, I, (laughs) I know this is a conspiracy theory, but it is, it's, it's a very well run disinformation campaign. And uh, I don't know who started it, but boy, it, it sure has benefited uh, one group of people to discredit others and also to discredit things like pedophilia. You know, uh, there is, there's, there's a lot of people in, in powerful positions, especially in Hollywood that seem to like pedophilia. And, uh, and, uh, it's just interesting to me that QAnon kind of rose to prominence all about, uh, pedophilia. Thank you so much for being, what a heck of a sentence. <laughs> it did. It did. 
I mean, you know, look, uh, it's a, it was, you're saying basically like, uh, what exactly that, you know, obviously because there were some high profile criminals right in Hollywood that yeah. were prosecuted for this. Yeah. Uh, certainly Jeffrey Epstein. And, and if and I wanted publicly. to make sure that, uh, you know, Epstein looked like a crazy, you know, not a big story. Mm. Uh, if I wanted to, you know, make sure I'm protecting friends in Hollywood that were pedophiles. Uh, and I knew I was going to normalize pedophilia. The thing I would do is get people to laugh at pedophilia through something like uh, QAnon. They're going to way to wreck your opponents. Essentially, yeah, wreck your yeah. opponents, mm-hmm. wreck the credibility mm-hmm. of all that, so you can go out and do what well, they it, did on Sound of Freedom and say it's not that big of a deal. Certainly, what they're doing with uh, by promoting it all the time and talking about QAnon. When I when I don't know anyone who believes I don't know it. I don't know anybody. I don't I've know never anybody. met a person who actually believes all the QAnon stuff, yep. but yet it's out there all the time in the media. Sorry to interrupt. Sorry to end the interview with that, Alex. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Alex. <laughs> Thanks for being on with us, uh, Clark. Alex ah. or Alex Clark, not sure, uh, host of The Spillover <laughs> on Turning Point USA. Na, 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 na.